everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us for episode 34. Uh, this is a really cool uh, episode, simply because we have a returner with us today, Ryan. Um, Ryan was with us whenever we did the live podcast out in Vegas. We did two when we were out there. I was with, with Ryan and then uh, Robbie Winchester. Um, so we haven't seen uh, Ryan on the podcast since then. He's got a lot of really cool things he's been cooking up we're going to be talking about today. Um, but for those who do are not familiar with Ryan nor his work, um, Ryan, would you please uh, introduce yourself? Sure. Hello. Uh, my name is Ryan Hausnacht. I am a senior security researcher at Microsoft. Um, more specifically, I dabble into the Azure security side of things. Cool. And you recently just came out with a couple of really cool projects, right? Yeah. So last year I released the Azure Threat Research Matrix. And then this year I've released... Uh, as of last week, actually, I released the AZD Tech Suite, uh, Very which cool. sides. Yep. Now, the if I'm not mistaken, the the threat research matrix for Azure that was it's very set up very similar to MITRE, um, and it's meant to expose uh, kind of just some inner workings of different attack techniques that you have found. Are those techniques that you have found in the wild, or are those more things that you've kind of researched, or you've got a collect of research from the community in general? Yeah, great question. So the threat research matrix isn't just stuff that I found. It's stuff that has either been known to be existing in the wild or stuff that people have just found in the labs. I think Azure is an, a unique space because not everything you find is always or has been um, abused, um, especially with it being relatively new. And when you have, let's say, a new resource or something that gets deployed in Azure and somebody finds a new uh, technique on it. Some it's very often that that comes to light before um, you actually see an attack in the wild. It's not like compared to to other, let's say, web applications or something where you'll see like an O day first or hear about an O day first, and then all of a sudden people are like, oh yeah, there's an actual vulnerability here. So um, cool. yeah, what's uh what has the process been like? So obviously, like it's set up very similar to the Matter Attack Framework. Yeah. Um, is there you know, hopes in the future that it might get merged in or are you guys keeping it separate for a reason right now? Yeah, so the idea was to give a similar format. That way we're not reinventing the wheel. I think matrices are an excellent way to disseminate information because they're, they're clear and concise, right? Instead of going through 30 blog posts to read up on a technique or something like that, you're just giving a ton of options at once and you can you know navigate the menu however you see fit. Um, so that and MITRE has been such an industry standard for you know quite a bit now that I don't want to navigate away from that familiar familiar from that type of format um, that did look uh, similar and and feel similar. So it, what, yeah. the uh, usability of it is a lot easier to be adopted than you know some other different format. In now, in terms of it being um, merged into MITRE, so this was. This is a question I get asked almost every time this gets brought up. And um, it's a very valid question because it's like, yeah, you're doing a matrix, MITRE does a matrix, why don't you just merge them? So I think the biggest distinct difference is that MITRE's uh, enterprise matrix covers everything in terms of a general technique. And that technique is applicable sometimes to Windows, Linux, Mac, whatever, right? Uh, mobiles, not mobile, uh, operating systems, whatever you want to put. With uh, ATRM 
ATRM is specific just to Azure. It's specific to yeah. one product. And what that allows me to do is dive deep into a specific technique and give all the telemetry around that specific technique. It would be similar to um, if MITRE, you know, had a, a page on lateral movement for uh, for SMB and they only included stuff for Windows and did not include like Samba, right? So that's the idea with ATRM is since it's just specific to Azure, it's I think most appropriate for Microsoft to own that and for Microsoft to publish that. It's not necessarily us calling out our dirty laundry or anything like that. Yeah. It's more of us just saying, hey, this is what you need to be aware of. It's very similar to if you go and deploy a, um, an Active Directory forest, right? There's always security recommendations around when you deploy that forest. Um, and it's no different than with Azure. Nothing out of the box is vulnerable, but it's very easy to have an administrator make some um, very simple mistake that could be detrimental to an entire tenant. So that's very cool. So you're trying to stay away from being too generalized because if you add things like AWS, GCP, correct. you right. have to be more generalized where this exactly. is allowed to be more precise in the specifics that way. Yes. So MITRE's page, um, they have a cloud matrix and it covers, um, you'll see there's a lot of synergy between their enterprise matrix and their cloud matrix. So a lot of the cloud matrix, and especially when it pertains to Azure, a lot of it is just a lot of uh, on-prem and uh, Azure Active Directory, like hybrid type uh, techniques. Mm -hmm. um, nothing really specific to just AAD in the cloud or specific, especially to the resources within Azure. And of course, their cloud matrix it covers uh, GCP, AWS, and stuff like that as well. So yeah, again, uh, the goal of ATRM and the whole reason it's separate is because it is so focused on just one product, basically. Okay. Uh, and we, we have talked to MITRE before, like when I released this, I had a chat with them and the consensus was they understood why this was made, why we own it. And they're okay with us uh, doing that, keeping it the way it is. So very cool. Um, I'm gonna... no, plans, no plans for integration or anything. Um, maybe in the future, uh, there could definitely be some collaboration, but for now it's, it's staying at Microsoft. I want to take a moment and share the link because I forgot to do that when you first brought it up, but um, there's there's a link that we're showing if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, it's aka.ms. That's just their kind of short URL slash ATRM. So uh, you can navigate and go check it out that way, or you could search for ATR, ATRM or Azure Threat Research Matrix. Yeah, is um, this, uh, am I able to share my screen? It might be easier to just do a quick demo. Sure, sure. sure. That'd be awesome. Just be aware that it, when you click share, it's going to share whatever you have up immediately. So like. If you want to show everybody Microsoft trade secrets, then yeah. I was told once, do what your career can handle. <laughs> In the meantime, I'll, I'll just kind of make this comment. So I think that the point of uh, being so from a, I talk about category theory a lot and how when we classify things, you, you tend to group things into these abstract categories. And one of the questions that we always have is, do we want the category to be specific? or inclusive, right? And the, the interesting thing is that as you go more inclusive, you're able to, in, you know, based on the name, include more entities or particulars into that group. But the right. problem is, is that you get less information based on that category. So like, if I were to say, I have a mammal, you have an idea of what I'm like, what I'm talking about, but it's not right. very clear. It could be a lot of things and those things could be very different. But if I say I have an Australian shepherd, that is, I'm saying the same thing, but I'm saying it at a 
lower level within that that yeah. uh, kind of category hierarchy, and that exactly. allow that allows me to convey more information that way. And so uh, there's value in being inclusive because it allows things to be coherent together with each other. Uh, but there's also value in being more specific because it allows you to get into more granular detail and and highlight the differences between things. And that's yeah, and that's kind of how this is set up in terms of. Um, Again, how, how Miter set it up, obviously, it's been tested and true. So you have at the high level, you have the same or similar oh, tactics. I don't think it's sharing on the screen. Sorry. Let's, uh, I'll add it to stream. It Jared does this better than me, but I'm making sure this is, yeah. Jared, is this the right? That's right. You, you yep. think? Okay, cool. Yep. So the tactics at the top, um, you'll see some of these, the Miter has a lot more, but for the general part, I was able to fit all the techniques that I knew and I discovered and, and read about, um, were able to fit in these. Uh, seven tactics. And these tactics, again, when you click on them, uh, this whole menu is interactive. So if you click on them, let's say execution, right? Again, Jared, you're going back to that analogy, right? Where right here we have the actual tactic and then we have the associated IDs of the specific uh, techniques. And in those techniques, you have sub-techniques. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. with execution, for example, right? It's going to tell you the purpose of the tactic, what it what you can do with it, all that stuff. And then if we go and click on the first one, let's say virtual machine scripting. So for those who are unaware in Azure, you have the ability to create virtual machines that are hosted within the platform. So they are hosted um, in the cloud in Microsoft's Azure uh, in those data centers. And then you connect to them via, if you want to set up VPN, you can, or you can connect to them via public IP address, however you want. Um, when it comes to actual virtual machines, whether it's Linux or, or Windows, uh, you have the ability to actually run a script on that virtual machine through the Azure portal, uh, through one of the many ways. Um, Azure portal was one of the most common ones at first, then, uh, then you can do it via PowerShell if you wanted to, and then you can even do it via just like REST API calls. Anyways, so this is a specific technique for that. And if we click on the first one, there's a couple, several different ways rather to execute a command on a VM within Azure. Um, and as you can see here, there's seven sub-techniques. Uh, some of these pertain to specifically like Kubernetes clusters or, uh, or VM, VMs at scale. Uh, so if you have a bunch of different uh, scale sets of VMs. Uh, specifically though, let's just click on the first one. So this one is run command. This is by far the most popular way to run a script or run a command on a virtual machine in Azure. Um, a run command basically utilizes an agent uh, plugin extension, whatever you want to call it, on the actual VM itself. Uh, so whenever you create this VM in Azure, that plugin gets installed automatically, and then that plugin handles uh, the re the actual command that is inputted from the user and executes it on the VM. So <clears throat> when we click on this ID, the sub technique, uh, it gives you as much information as I could possibly think of that would be relevant to. Uh, someone that is trying to defend against this attack or wants to know about it. So, uh, for example, in Windows, right at the very top, uh, if you use run command, it's going to run things as PowerShell. In Linux, it's just going to run things in a standard shell, in a bash shell. Um, it affects the resource, which is the virtual machine. Mm. Um, and then there's these things called actions. So, comparative to on premise, uh, where you have groups and groups have inherited permissions, actions are kind of like those permissions. Um, but they're outlined very specifically as such, right? So uh, you have Microsoft.compute, and in Microsoft Compute, you have virtual machines, and then you have the run command. And specifically, when run command, you need action to actually execute a command. 
Uh, there's different ones. There's like run command write, which allows you to create a command. Um, but if you don't have action, then you can't write it. Action so, hey, like execute, basically. Is, correct. Exactly. Like, yep. 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 So um, these are the ones that you need to be able to execute a command and then read the output of that command. Mm -hmm. So I feel like these are the two actions that are needed to actually perform this technique. Yeah. And then specifically when we get to examples, there's, a, I, like I said before, there's a bunch of different ways to execute uh, a technique in general uh, on an Azure resource. Most popular way is going to be via the portal. So if you click on the portal tab in ATRM, it actually gives me a screenshot of what that looks like. So uh, cool. you know, we have the data plane here for uh, the VM. And if you click on run PowerShell script, the side panel opens up where you can actually run the command. If you wanted to do that via PowerShell, this is the, the actual um, command to do so. And all these are hyperlinks. So if you click on it, it's going to bring you to the MS Docs page of that. Um, Azure CLI, this is another popular um, so with PowerShell, obviously it's specific to Windows. Azure CLI will run on Linux because it's all in Python. Uh, also can run on Windows. So it's a popular one. And then finally, you just have the raw REST API call, uh, which sometimes is just the quicker way to do things. But anyways. You have Power, you have, uh, Power Azure too, right? So like, does that leverage AZ PowerShell under the hood or? It does. So yeah, so um, PowerJure, I think I spoke about that last time I was on. PowerJure yep. leverages only AZ PowerShell. It used to leverage the Azure AD modules and stuff like that for the Azure AD stuff. I move all of those to just API uh, API calls. So yep. no longer need to install that package. Um, it makes things just a little bit cleaner and a little bit more user-friendly, so. Okay, uh, I wanna ask some questions as like a layman. Uh, just because AI sure. am a layman and I feel like uh, a lot of Azure yeah. terminology and concepts are probably new for a lot of the audience. So if you if you scroll up and just, I'm gonna try to narrate it as best as I can, but this yeah, is going it. to be one of those episodes that if you're a listener, it's probably best to like watch it on YouTube just because we are referencing screen sharing right now. And so it's just, it's just easier. So when we talk about, when we talk about resources, one of the first things that you, that is mentioned on the page is the resource and that's the, the entity that's being affected, yes, I presume. And there's a bunch of different resources like virtual machines are probably the primary resource, but then there's all kinds of different things like subnets would be resources, right? I think. And, subnets, uh, NICs, networks, and, virtual networks, VPNs, uh, obviously the VMs themselves, SQL servers, web applications. Uh, yeah, anything, anything that you can do in Azure is going to be typically a part of a resource. Okay, cool, cool. And then, and then you have actions, and you mentioned that those are like permissions. So if I have a principal, my my account or whatever, um, there's very granular access control in Azure, from what I understand. Yes. And yes. you would you would like in order for me to do this, you would have to exp well, uh, I would have to be granted this Microsoft.compute virtual slash virtual machines slash run command slash action um, permission. And I guess the question is 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 that something that's granted to me in general? Like, cause we, we kind of all know the bloodhound kind of idea. Is yeah. that something that I usually will inherit inadvertently or is that something that's more explicitly granted most yeah, of the time? Definitely less explicitly granted. So the okay. only time actions are explicitly granted are when you do custom roles. Custom roles are definitely not common in Azure. They allow that extra level of granularity, but for the most part there's predefined roles and there's roles specifically for Azure AD and there's separate actual separate roles for Azure resources. Um, 
when you have a specific, when you're assigned to a role, you can be assigned multiple roles or you can be assigned no roles even. Yeah. But you can be, if, let's say uh, for VMs, if I assign you the virtual machine contributor role, it's going to give you pretty much complete access to virtual machines within Azure. That's the only thing that you can do with that role. It pertains to the VM resources, right? I don't have any permissions over SQL servers. I don't have any permissions over uh, function apps or anything like that. It only pertains to that. So what commonly happens is instead of trying to create a custom role and make everything more granular uh, in terms of permissions, administrators will just go, yeah, whatever, just take VM contributor and have fun. Yep. Yep. Well, now as a VM contributor, I have uh, rights over if it's assigned at the subscription level, meaning where everything, uh, every resources exist, every resource exists in a subscription. So if I assign to the subscription level, I have everything in that subscription, every VM, I am now a VM contributor over. Now you can definitely go specifically to the VM and assign only uh, me to a role for that VM. But again, that's, that's definitely less common. What, Let's think about it, right? Let's say that um, you're, you created a web application that has you know, a back end, it's got a front end, and let's just say it's running on four separate servers, right? Mm -hmm. Well, instead of going to four separate servers and assigning you VM contributor role, it's easier just to assign you to the actual whole subscription. Yep. Well, now, everything else I have is now, um, I am now have virtual machine contributor over. So and is it is it true that you could assign privilege at the subscription, at the resource group, and at the particular resource? Is that yes? So yeah. So if I were to create, let's say a um, a web app, right? Let's say I, I do this for for a, a business, right? Mm -hmm. And I have multiple clients that have um, that have websites, and I create a resource group for each of these customers. Mm -hmm the worst way to do it because now by subscription they're all under one subscription instead of separate ones so they're billed under the same bill technically it's hard to disseminate that but with resource groups yeah you can containerize uh, resources to be part of the same um a group for lack of a better word but yeah. yes in, in the same container rather are there are there good resources out there that explain the different levels of uh, privileges you can essentially set, whether it's the resource level or user level, et cetera? Yeah, so not specifically towards the permissions that I know of, aside from the MS docs. I did talk yeah. about it when I did my uh, very first blog post on Azure um, when I worked at Spectre Ops 2019, I think. It came out of time, man. Okay. I think in January of 2020 is when that was published. And then I know Andy uh, Robbins specifically talks a lot about permissions and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, permissions abuse just because it's native to, to bloodhound and azure hound so gotcha so so okay so just going back to the how do people get these permissions in the first place generally speaking the vast majority of azure consumers are going to use the predefined roles yeah. and they they probably will use them at a higher level within the kind of hierarchy construct hierarchy subscription resource group resource than they probably need yeah. and so it's it's very likely that people will have access to to perform this type of activity on on resources that they didn't that they don't actually need the requirement like they don't need those that ability to do. And it happens. The best way, the best analogy to look at it is you know for anybody that's been in security consulting yep. has seen the environments where you go to an on-prem AD and you see people with DA that should not have DA. 
Yeah, it's the same thing. It's yep. like okay, just give this person all the permissions so they don't run to any yep. roadblocks. And yeah, that and is time and time again. That's the same. It's the same thing in Azure. And from a security like least privilege perspective, it's probably best to create custom rules to where you give people only the permissions that they need, but nobody does that essentially in practice. Yeah, and the other caveat again with that is not only are you creating a custom role, but you need to apply it to the resources that <clears throat> they're only supposed to have access to. Yeah, so, so it's yeah, a lot of lot of overhead. Of, yeah, there's a lot. And there's like a trillion different uh, permissions anyway. Yeah, there's a ton. And it's, okay. they're documented actually quite well. Um, the MS docs out there will cover, all right, for this resource to do this, you need these permissions. Yeah. Um, as you dive down into it, some are lesser used than others, but mm -hmm. for the most part, yeah. Is uh, it more complex now that you have hybrid environments as well? Or is it basically you have on-prem permissions and privileges and only cloud permissions and privileges, et cetera, and they stay pretty separate regardless of the environment? Um, I think, I think in terms of hybrid, right now we're talking about Azure AD specifically because Azure AD is, it's quite different how it's handled versus Azure resources. Got it. Uh, so for those who are unaware, Azure, Re Azure AD serves kind of as the identity and, and authentication broker for Azure resources, uh, for a tenant, both of those things fall under a thing called a tenant. Um, so for hybrid environments, right. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I think like. There's specific attacks to, you know, when you set up a hybrid environment that an on-premise account gets created that is linked to Azure AD. And then there's a slew of attacks that occur from that. Um, but yeah, I, I think in the most part that it doesn't necessarily com complicate it more. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What, what? So, oh, sorry. So, go ahead, Jared. Yeah, yeah, I just want to compliment on the uh, the structure. So I'm I'm kind of again kind of a layman on this, but one thing that's interesting to me is that if you scroll up a little bit, Ryan, yeah, uh, you pointed out right there the examples. So you you have examples of different modes in which people can execute this command through this run command uh, run command kind of action. Yep. One of the things that's interesting though is that from my understanding, well, like all of these actually are built on top of the REST API. So the PowerShell module, the Azure CLI, and the portal all leverage the, the REST API. And the REST API is just like we talk about with like function call stacks and things like that. You can, you can choose any, you can, you can create any tool on top of the REST API. And yeah. so there's this- So it's like the Win32 API equivalent almost. Yeah, that's right. To the cloud, yep. Yeah. And the, so- The documentation like, is actually really good for the REST API. Okay. Uh, kind of like my preferred way of doing things when I'm writing a script or something um, is because there's a lot of things that the API can do that just isn't built into either the PowerShell commands or what. Uh, for example, in, in PowerShell for a long time, it's different now, but for the first couple of years that it was out there in PowerShell, it allows you to uh, run a PowerShell command and just give it a command to be run on a VM. Before, if you did AZ PowerShell, you actually had to create a PowerShell script. And you actually had to upload the entire mm. script. Oh. By using the REST API, I was able to just say, no, just run a command. Don't worry about the script. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that was one of the advantages. And now it's changed. There's different ways. Yeah. But um, but that was one of the advantages at the time. So th that exists throughout throughout the entire Azure so, resource. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple things to talk about from that then. So from a toolmaker perspective as the bad guy, I guess, um, but like this is, this is true for people that are actually using the, the API, you know, appropriately. Right. So they're like actual administrators, but from a toolmaker perspective, one of the things that I ran into early on is I was using PowerShell to create 
Windows services mm -hmm. and uh, new service, the PowerShell commandlet that facilitates that does not have a like dash computer name parameter. So there's no ability to create a service on a remote system. And I assumed this is just kind of like my ignorance of the API at the time. I assumed that if PowerShell didn't allow me to create a service on a remote system, that it wasn't possible. Right. But then later on in one of our training classes that Johnny and I teach, uh, we actually dig into the source code for a new service and we see that there's a function call to OpenSC Manager. And there, the first parameter for that is a computer name parameter. And new service actually just hard codes that computer, computer name parameter to null, which means only, mm -hmm. only hit the local host, basically. And right, so that right, was right. a maybe an implicit or explicit design decision that they made when they were creating the commandlet. And I was assuming that the commandlet represented the full complement of the functionality, yep. which is essentially what you're saying here. Yep, yep, exactly. And I think AZ PowerShell, especially when I first started using it, it was still in preview. Uh, so there was a lot of things that were just not even built out yet. Like mm -hmm. there, a lot of stuff has been added for sure. Yep. Uh, but as again, if you know a resource comes out when, whenever a new resource is deployed in Azure, um, a new offering, whatever it may be, the REST API is immediately going to be built out. It's immediately going to be fleshed out, right? Because that's ultimately how the portal is going to interact with it and how majority of users are going to be using it. That's right. Um, AZ PowerShell later, or even Azure CLI, those are going to be developed later because eventually, yeah. They, on the back end, they really just call the REST API. Yep. Like if I'm curious why my REST API command isn't working and I know an AZ PowerShell command uh, does a similar something similar, I'll just watch the AZ PowerShell command in like Burp Suite or something and I'll see what it's actually calling. You know, maybe a certain parameter isn't being handled the way I expected it to, especially that's when you interesting. do quotes and stuff. There's a lot of mm. nuances. Yeah, that's like um, API monitor almost. Yeah. So that's what I'm kind of thinking yeah. of. Right, cool. right exactly. This is so, kind of, yeah, it's a fun thing to try to like think about our process for Windows and then uh, associate yeah. that with how we would do it here. Yeah, it's, so it, it's interesting the uh, the other way around too with Portal. Let's say you're you're able to do something in the Portal, but you can't find like the documentation on the REST API or you know AZ PowerShell or whatever. Um, you can just look at network the network console in Chrome or whatever, and just see like the requests that are going out from the mm -hmm. Azure Portal and see like the actual API calls that are going out. Uh, but one of the things that I learned was like, uh, there's two different, um, two different API providers, one for Azure AD and one for, you know, Microsoft graph, like there's, they're two completely different APIs, but mm. at the back end of things, they kind of do similar stuff. One was more fleshed out than the other and the Azure portal uses one instead of the other. But I didn't know that until I actually started using, uh, and so I started doing like debugging, uh, basically. So, yeah. Gotcha. So the, the REST API is intrinsic to the resource. Like the resource can't go online if there's no REST API because otherwise you can't even manage it through the portal, exactly. which is... Yep. Okay, that's, so, that's the cloud, right? Everything yep. is just basically going through an API. So Okay, so back to the, my com my compliment because I never got never got to it and I don't want to skip it. The, the Jared doesn't give out compliments often, so make sure you... <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so there's this... Uh, one of my like kind of criticisms or critiques of of some of the techniques that are included in an attack is that the techniques will often be focused on the mode of execution as opposed to the behavior that is being executed, mm -hmm. right? And so instead of saying like PowerShell or Azure, you know, Azure CLI as the technique, yep. you're focused on what is the actual behavior that's being implemented here, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's cool because it's like okay, well, there's some some level of scripting, right? And this this goes into that category theory thing too, right? So you have execution, right? Well, there's a ton of different ways to execute, and if I just say yeah. Hey, we're trying to detect execution. You have literally no chance of actually being successful at that. Then you have 
virtual machine scripting. Okay, well, that's more specific. But then what you're showing is that there's seven different ways to do virtual machine scripting, right? So you could do DSC, you could do this run command, you can do uh, VMSS, which is, what is that? Like some sort of it's memory? Sets. So, no, it's for scale sets. So, oh, scale sets, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of different ways. And um, a serial console? It, like, how do you serial con console, how so do you console serial into a VM in the cloud? Yeah, so serial console, there's actually like a COM port that it hooks up to, oh. and you can actually do it. And uh, one of the interesting things, not to, to go too much on a tangent, uh, for Defender, one of the things I found last year was that that serial console would bypass a lot of the Defender rules. Mm. Uh, oh, wow. Like I was one of the, there's like predefined commands that serial console allows you to use. And one like, of them was- Like proc dump? Well, a lot of them was proc dump. And I'm like, <laughs> well, that's interesting. And oh. I was able to proc dump LSAF, <laughs> okay. which Defender does not allow you to do by default. Um, but it was bypassing the Defender rule. So that obviously got called out. I'll never, I'll never forget that. I get out of the gym yeah. and Ryan hits me yeah. up. He's like, yo, bro, I got to tell you something. <laughs> I was like, what's up? <laughs> It was, that was one of the more interesting things. I feel like uh, getting the serial console thing to work is a lot is more involved than run commands. So it's kind of like, yeah, if you could get to that yeah. point, then good, you know, congrats. I guess. Yeah. yeah. One yeah. thing I really like about this as well is, um, I will say, so if you talk to anybody at Miter, anybody at Miter, I think <clears throat> it's not like they hide it. They just don't say it a lot. But if you directly ask them this, they typically will say what I'm about to say is, Miter is built out for the CTI community. Um, at the end of the day, um. When I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when I look at this matrix, this looks like it's for researchers and defenders. Yeah. Because 100%. you have a way to replicate it, and then you also have detections underneath. Yeah. So getting to the detection side, yeah. right? Like that was one of the big things. Like I, I wanted to have some type of um, catalog of techniques, right? Because, you know, there's a million different blog posts on Azure techniques. I've written a bunch. A lot of people have written a bunch. Uh, there's different tools and stuff like that, but there is no like, no way to say, all right, I have access to a VM in Azure. What can I do? And at that point, you just go to Google and you start typing stuff in. Well, this kind of makes it all centralized. So from a defender standpoint, I wanted to know, all right, well, this technique exists. How do I defend against it? And to my own criticism, when I first released ATRM, I think I was so hyper-focused on actually getting all known techniques cataloged that I didn't really focus too much on the defensive side. Like there was defensive stuff there, but it wasn't as good as it is. I have it now. Um, so specifically, like if we talk about run command more, right. Um, not only is it going to tell you the log that occurs within Azure and what, what log provider that happens under, but it's also going to tell you, Hey, this is also creating stuff on disk. Mm. Uh, so specifically it's going to create artifacts under, this folder in Windows and this folder in Linux and actually two different folders. Um, <clears throat> so it allows you to do that. And then I recently just added the query section, which gives actual KQL queries on detecting this type of technique, uh, which relates to the project that I released, uh, AZ Detect Suite. Cool. Yeah, so I'm gonna uh, show the little link for AZ Detect Suite. So. For those that aren't watching, it's https colon slash slash aka.ms slash az detect suite. So that you could go there and there's a blog. That's that links to Ryan's kind of like initial blog post talking about this effort. And that's yep. a pretty sweet project. Thank you. Um okay. get in no, because AZ detect suite. Yeah. John, you're not a bad idea. You can't make those jokes. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> so 
Yeah. So my, my focus this year, again, last year I released ATR. My focus this year was getting it up to par with what I think should be the defensive um, standard. Sure. Right. Yeah. And when it comes to Azure, there's definitely security around uh, built into it in, in terms of you have Sentinel, you have uh, Defender for Cloud and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think one of the philosophical differences I have internally is that as Microsoft, we focus a lot on the enterprise customers. They make a lot of money. They give us a lot of money, right? It makes sense. But I feel like sometimes the SMBs kind of get ignored, the small, medium businesses. So I think when you look at an SMB, they don't have the same budget as an enterprise to deploy MD, uh, Defender for Cloud for their entire Azure operations or whatever they're using, right, in cloud. So I felt like there should have been something there that we could provide them that allows them to at least have some baseline of defense uh, against some of these techniques. So that's what all of this, uh, that was the inspiration for AZD Tech Suite. So within ATRM, AZD Tech Suite kind of integrates into it in two ways. One is the queries, and two is this button at the bottom. So there's actually a deploy to Azure button for majority of techniques, all of them that have some type of uh, query uh, written for them. And if you click on this button, it's going to take you to your Azure subscription and it's going to allow you to deploy the actual alert, uh, in your subscription. So again, the, uh, it costs money to do, to create an alert, but it is, I mean, it's, it's a penny. I don't even know if it's a whole penny. It's very, very small amount. Um, so you can theoretically deploy the entire, uh, every detection that I have in AZ detect suite, which I think is around 80 detections. You can deploy all of it, I think, for like under 30 bucks a month. So, um, and that's just the native cost of like doing stuff in Azure. That's yeah. not charging anything. So it is an open source project. And again, I, my, my goal with this, and it's kind of just my philosophy that was ingrained in me since I started consulting and especially being at Spectre Ops is that open source is a good thing. And that yeah. as researchers, we can't possibly know everything and research everything at once. So. The more input from the community, the better. Yeah. Um, so that's why both ATRM and AZD Tech Suite are open source projects hosted on GitHub, free to make PRs, issues, whatever you want. What One thing I like is in the query section, you explain the data source, like the log analytics. Yes. And could you kind of go through the different levels of logging that's available in Azure? Because I don't think many people know about maybe like uh, Microsoft yeah. Defender for cloud, et cetera. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, referencing my blog post here a little bit, um, within Azure and specifically, I'm going to talk about Azure resources here. Um, it does kind of also coincide with Azure AD. Um, Azure AD has some separate logging things that are a little interesting, but for the most part, they're, they're quite similar. Um, there's a, a resource not to get too meta inside Azure called Azure monitor. And this allows you to create workspaces, log books and stuff like that, workbooks, et cetera, that allow you to ingest logs from all the different log providers within Azure. Now a log provider in Azure, there's a lot. And when I mean a lot, I mean, it's easier just to go through and scroll through this list. As you can see, there's probably well over a hundred log providers here. Some of the most popular ones, most popular one by far is gonna be Azure Activity. So everything that you click on and, and do in Azure is for the most part gonna be logged in Azure Activity. If I go and create a resource in Azure, it's gonna create a log um, and that log is going to fall under the Azure Activity Provider. That's kind of mm -hmm. what's monitoring on the back end of Azure and, and showing you uh, and giving you those logs, whatever occurred. 
Now, the issue with some of these logs, specifically for Azure Activity, and let's go back to the example of run command, Azure Activity is not gonna tell you what command was actually run with run command. It's just gonna tell you, hey, run command was used. So to get a little bit more uh, data out of that, you have to look at start looking at other log providers, some of which aren't default. So Azure Diagnostics, for example, I think all or probably 99% of resources within Azure have the ability for um, enabling the Azure Diagnostics log provider on that resource. And that's going to give you enhanced uh, logs. So specifically for like automations accounts and stuff like that, whenever a new script is created for an automation account, it will actually tell you the details of the script mm -hmm. if you enable Azure Diagnostics. The reason that this isn't enabled by default is because it does consume a lot more, um, a lot more log or reveals a lot more logs. Therefore, you know, increased costs on, on the back end of things, increased costs for the customer. So it does require a little bit more uh, space for storing these logs, and that's where the cost comes from. How granular um, is the control over? Is it like once if you enable yeah. Azure Diagnostics, are you? enabling all of it or are you can you control like which it depends on the resource. categories um it depends on the resources so for i'm trying to think i think for vms you get to choose specifically what logs that you want to um what logs you want to actually include mm -hmm. um i don't know if it, it'll say here um but for other other resources let's take like Let's take Key Vaults, for example, actually. Key Vaults is a good one. So Key Vaults in Azure, for those who are unaware, allow you to store uh, secrets, keys, certificates, et cetera, in a secure fashion. Mm -hmm. um, it's a specific resource for doing that. Uh, for When it comes to Azure Diagnostics, you can include additional logging for certificates, for keys, or for secrets. So you get to choose in that sense. Um, and then there's other resources where it's like, no, it's one, one okay. click of a button, you get everything. So, yeah. Gotcha. Now, can yep. you, um, again, from a layman's perspective, I know about like Microsoft Security Center. So I guess the the reason that you're that you were talking about small medium businesses is because uh, Defender for Cloud. I think I read about this in your blog post, but Defender for Cloud might have some capabilities that's not going to be available to you via this approach. However, it's it's a component of like some more expensive, uh, uh, what do you call it, subscription yeah, model. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And so, and so, how do I get access to like the Azure Activity Log? Is that just in Security Center as like a table that I have access to, or? Yeah. So I think the biggest difference is that MDC is going to give you a little bit more information that you're not able to see in, in as a regular consumer in Azure. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning, like they have they are tapped into the actual you know uh, fabric of Azure, and they're able to get some additional logs or generate some behavior, behavioral analytics and alert off of that in comparative to just running like raw KQL commands. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to give you that additional um, telemetry. So the difference though, and again, going back to, let's say run command, right, is let's say you're forwarding logs from on-premise to cloud. You're forwarding it to, to Azure Monitor. Um, and what you're able to do now is let's say let's take this query here is you're able to to uh look at azure activity logs and you're able to say all right anytime that run command is actually run i want you to also look for event id 4104 and look in the description of that event id and if run command windows is in it 
return me the full output of the command. Hmm. And now what that allows us to do is get the actual uh, command that was run through run command, gotcha. uh, which native Azure doesn't do. Um, and it, it gives you that much more additional telemetry. So basically, you're able to utilize different data sources and combine them into one uh, in, into one query to get more information that is normally available. When coming, when coming up with some of this telemetry and like walking through these queries, were there ever any conversations internally? They're like, hey, like we don't have really visibility into this. Let's build this out, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I've worked with that Defender for Cloud team in the past and they're awesome. And this is definitely not a dig at any team in, in Microsoft or anything like that. It's more or less of I'm able to push things out much quicker as an individual than an entire product team. Yep. So the goal is to eventually include all of this as possible in MDC. Some of them are going to be philosophically and just not even possible, like this one, right, where you're pulling logs from on-premise. Like now, now you're integrating not just MDC, you're integrating like on-prem defender, right? So some of that stuff might not even be possible. That, this is stuff I got to look at. But again, with the, the idea of being able to push out um, alerts and queries and stuff, immediately to to consumers and clients uh customers whatever you want to call them um at a small scale like small smbs that was the overall goal of this project cool um, so yeah cool now let's talk about the um okay so just to wrap up the question that i had yeah. so this like that first query that you have so it's like looking at azure activity logs specifically yeah. for the that microsoft.compute virtual machines run command action operation to occur and yep. then it's trying to uh correlate that i suppose with a 4104 script lock right. logging you would do that in sentinel is that the location yep you could do that in sentinel you can also just do it in azure monitor okay okay um, so azure monitor what like uh, azure monitors a page that i could browse to yes it's okay. just a resource in azure where all where you can view all of the resource provider logs gotcha uh, within there so gotcha. everything for azure activity azure diagnostics all of that feeds in the azure monitor and you can query think of it almost as like a sim and okay. you can just look at it from a single uh resource gotcha yep. okay cool 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 and so um then the next question is talking about the the azure activity kind of table i guess is what it's called um that most most people that are familiar with like most people that would be listening to us i think are probably familiar with mde and how the different tables are set up and you have like device process events device network events device registry events, that type of thing. But then you also have device events, which is like this generic table that just has a bunch of interesting, interesting like action types, they call them. But yeah. in this case, it, it appears that Azure activity is like kind of this comprehensive table that like you said, every time somebody makes a REST API command, like a uh, request, maybe not every time, but like yeah. generally speaking, when a, when a Azure REST API request is made, there's potentially going to be an event that's in this Azure activity table. And then it's going to have a val there's a property called operation name value that will correspond with the REST API endpoint that was being queried or requested yes. to or whatever. Yeah. So Azure activity is going to give you the big ticket events, I should say. Okay. Right. Okay. So again, creating resources, performing an action in a resource. Uh, one example, let's, let's take, uh, automation accounts, which allow you to script out things in Azure, right? 
automation account, um, when you're creating a, a PowerShell script in an automation account, you have the option to run it in a preview, okay. uh, which kind of just says, I, I want to make sure this command works before I actually deploy it. That preview, it's going to run in Azure, but it's not going to generate a log in Azure activity. Gotcha. So it's key. Uh, this is where Azure Diagnostics comes into play. When you click on Azure Diagnostics, it is going to give you that telemetry. Mm. So Azure Diagno Azure Activity is not the one all to be all. Yeah. Um, in addition, some other logs, uh, log providers like storage accounts and stuff are going to give you a lot more telemetry than just Azure Activity. It's going to give you like in egress, ingress traffic, uh, which allows you to do things like um, create like metric based uh, detections, which are really interesting sometimes. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good baseline for the most part. Yeah. Um, and I would say majority of the queries in here are leveraging Azure activity. Uh, but you'll see sometimes that it also queries other log providers too, or correlates the two, yeah. uh, to give a more definitive and, and accurate detection. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Yeah, one thing too is uh, <clears throat> one thing I think that's very valuable with this is like uh, you have exposed this in a way that you're allowing the community as soon as like Azure starts to like still like it. I feel like right now in the community, it, there's like a small set, subset of researchers that I really think that are kind of leading that. You have like you, for example, Dirk Jan, um, you know, Andy, other people in that subset, but it's going to continue to grow, right? And people are going to need a resource, but they're also that means. There's going to be new discoveries. One thing I really like about this is that you've made it open source where people can contribute to it. Yeah. Um, could you speak to maybe the criteria to properly contribute to this project and what you'd like to see from people and things like that? Sure. Um, so there is actually a form. Uh, so on the main page of ATRM, you're greeted with a matrix. If you scroll down, uh, new technique proposal is kind of a category or a little subsection here. And there's actually a form. It's just a forms document um, that you could fill out. And actually, it'll go to my email and my team's email of if you have an idea for a tactic, you can just submit this form. If you want to just, I mean, there's a million different ways to do this. I think this might be the most straightforward because uh, these are the questions going to ask you if you reach out to me on Twitter, email, whatever. Um, but yeah, literally any way that somebody wants to contribute, if they're like, hey, have you thought about this technique or have, do you know about this technique? I've gotten all different types of communications from all different types of mediums, from Great. a GitHub PR to GitHub issue to a Twitter DM to emails. I, I mean, I just got an email when I released AZD Tech Suite saying, hey, you made a bunch of typos. I'm like, you're right, I did. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like that type of feedback's great. Like that's what I'm looking for, so. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, where are you hoping to see this kind of go in the future? Like, do you have like a cool? This is where this is at, and is there like a a place you're like, man, I really want to see it get to this point um, at some point? I think I think integration with a product would do it a lot of justice. I think one of the issues with creating a product or a project like this is that, uh, especially that being open source, Microsoft and open source are kind of like oil and water. Sometimes people are kind of not distrusting, but it's unusual to see. Mm -hmm. So I think it being adopted um, by major businesses and like my, my idea, my hope for this would be, you know, in readouts where Azure comes into play and, you know, they're using MITRE ATT&CK to reference their actions. 
I would like this to be referenced in the actions for Azure. That's my overall. You want it to be that standard, essentially, that people go to to mapping out those attacks in their, their organization. And the, exactly. And the challenge with that is it, A, being noticed. And the best way to get noticed, especially in Microsoft, is be integrating a product. Yep. So it is 100% an uphill battle that I've been fighting for well over a year now. And, you know, the biggest products here uh, for this type of work is going to be Defender and Sentinel. Yep. So uh, there's communication going on with those on the back end, but it's it's an uphill battle, really. Um, you have to prove to not just the people who create the product, but the stakeholders, ultimately, you know, the CVPs, all those people who uh, who control those products to be have this integrated into it. So, yep. yeah. All right. Now time. We're, we're 50 minutes in almost time for some saucy questions. You know, I like to do it to him about halfway through. Um, obviously, MITRE is great, right? Like we appreciate their contributions to open source and everything like that. But honestly, what was some of your main criticisms with how MITRE sets things up, how they expose information that you were trying to make sure that you do differently with this project with AZ Detect? um and kind of like the mentality with that sure um i think it it's both a criticism and kind of core to how they operate right like they are meant to be very general in their regards because they don't want to be specific to a single platform so they can't go into finite details and give examples of you know this is the log location and this is how you detect xyz here's a query right like they can't do that that's just not how they operate that's completely opposite of their their purpose. Um, so what I wanted to do with ATRM was, again, be very direct, be very hyper-focused on just Azure stuff. That allowed me to do create queries specific to individual techniques, individual resources. Now, I think MITRE does a fantastic job with like including blog posts and uh, con contributions and, and other resources where you can read how to let's say create a query on some technique or something like that. But I was looking for more of a one-stop shop rather of yep. information on a specific technique. Yeah. I think there's a, there's an advantage for Azure in particular in that um, you can, you can make the assumption that every consumer that's, that would be using this information is going to have the same set of logging. Exactly. Right. To where, for like Windows endpoints, for instance, it's like somebody might have Carbon Black, somebody might have Sysmon, yeah. somebody might have Windows Event Log, oh, somebody yeah. might have literally nothing. Um, they might have a pipeline that allows them to do correlation. They might not be able to do correlation. So there's just like almost too many variables to try to manage on that side as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a really good call out. Um, there are things. So if I go over here to the AZD Tech Suite repo, so there are uh queries that do leverage additional things so for example when it comes to vms mm. there's a thing called azure monitoring agent it's basically just an enhanced logging agent that gets installed think of like sysmon almost mm -hmm. right um so there are queries here that will require azure monitoring agent they're call out here dash ama.json um and those are the ones that are going to be using the actual on-premise logs because it requires an agent to pull mm -hmm. those logs into Azure Monitor. So um, those do exist, but those are also free. It's free to use Azure Monitor agent. It's not paid for. So yeah. Um, do you right. know of any, I believe maybe uh, Roberto 
has one. But essentially what I'm thinking of is like for people that want to like jump into this, learn more about it, you know, like historically there's been like detection lab for windows environments. There's been Marvel lab. Yeah. Um, but like, is there anything, I think maybe Roberto's a simulator, uh, blacksmith yeah. but are there labs like that that you can stand up pretty easily because i mean i've been in the azure portal before and it gets kind of confusing what you yeah. need to click and where <laughs> and your bill starts going up real quick <laughs> yeah. um no i i don't i know there exists i can't tell you any off the top of my head okay um that's kind of the advantage of having kind of a almost a blank check to do azure research is you don't have to worry about the costs and stuff yep. um so no, I can't tell you anything off of my top of my head, but they do exist. And I think one of the things interesting about Azure research is, you know, something new comes out and you're able to dive into it and create it however, um, however expensive and however, you know, less expensive you want to make it. Uh, if you want to create a SQL server, that's going to use, you know, one of the four different ways that you get billed for SQL, um, you know, you can do that. Uh, otherwise you don't have to, and you can just choose a cheap route and go that way. So. I I'm looking now. I think uh, it's called Simuland by yep. Roberto. That might be it. Um, S I M U L A N D for those that want to know. Um, so, yep, Simuland. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah, that's super. That that's just been one thing. Like I know, relative, like anybody can set up a VM. It's pretty easily and run attacks. But like it gets kind of confusing with Azure, and then like uh, what you know what level do you want to do it how far do you really need to expand the environment to get to the point to where you can actually run the attacks you want to run etc and i think like um you know projects like simulate etc it looks like it's mapped to mitre right now obviously your project this was last updated in 2021 i think so um you know this wasn't you know maybe it'd be cool eventually to see those two uh kind of form for or form sure. forces, join forces form, form, <laughs> forces. form forces yeah are you are you working on anything cool right now outside? Because I know you're always doing something. So uh, um, so AZ to Tech Suite was actually in the process of making almost right after I finished ATRM. The reason it took so long is two different reasons. One, I wanted to actually test these queries in the wild and like mm -hmm. in actual client environments, which it had a lot of these, not all of them, because some of them don't pertain to large environments, but for ones that can survive and are good for large environments. They have been tested against clients. Um, I know that they work. Um, I wanted to get some type of validation basically out of that. So that was a time consuming process. Um, and then the other time consuming process too, is just like getting everything, everything made. Um, for example, you know, I, th I don't remember how many detections I have in here. I th there's quite a few. But the way I have it formatted in like a simple template is like if I wanted to change uh, the title, right? So for example, Azure was complaining that in the template, there's a colon. And it's like, well, okay, now I have to go remove a colon from 78 files. <laughs> it's like <laughs> forever. Um, so it's just simple stuff like that. Um, and the other thing that was holding up is I actually wanted this to be released at Black Hat. Um, I actually wanted to be released at Blue Hat. And then my talk got denied it from Blue Hat. Um, so my my skip level manager is like, why don't you release it at Black Hat? I'm like, I don't know if I want to wait that long. I'm like, why not? I'll do it. And then I got denied to Black Hat. So I'm like, all right, screw this. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> the worry of our life, man. Yeah, we, 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 we're on a struggle. Dude, it's like we have this, uh, 
I really do think there's like an algorithm when it comes to conferences where it's like if you mention defense or detection anywhere, you're at the bottom of the bucket almost. It's rough. And I noticed that too, even with like the blog post I put out. Um, the defensive stuff never does even remotely close to how well the offensive stuff does. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I think for Spectre Ops, my blog post on on introduction to like attacking Azure and stuff, I think it's around 80,000 views or something like that. And I think the defensive one that I published a week later has like 6,000. <laughs> well, it's it's like, if it's it makes you feel, cool. if you makes you makes you feel any better, I'm looking now out of like the whole time Spectre Ops. It looks like uh, the attacking Azure AD and offensive lateral movement are two of the top three blog posts that have ever been read at Spectre Ops. Boom. What's it like? Hey, what's it like up there at the top? One percent there <laughs> over here. <laughs> oh man. Well, I don't yep. know. Yeah, we but. we got feedback. Not, I'm actually not trying to complain because this makes it sound like I'm doing a bitch fest. But, I, 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 uh, got, I got Jared triggered. Look out, everybody. <laughs> man, we got feedback because we submitted this our talk to uh, Black Hat and B-Sides Las Vegas. And uh, just for context, whenever we tell anybody in like a training class or on a on a call about this idea of malware morphology, which we've been, Johnny and I have been kind of going on and on about, people tell us essentially well, that's too much work and it's too complicated. That's the feedback that we mostly get when we explain the idea. Um, the The feedback from B-Sides Las Vegas was essentially, this is introductory material that everybody knows, so we don't understand why you're submitting it to this conference. So, yeah. <laughs> Little did I know that it, the whole process was already automated and everybody, everybody in dfir already knows how to do it well it's funny because i wake up and i look at my phone and said like it said like uh, b-sides las vegas and i was like oh sweet you know i, I haven't got a bed this is like 5 30 oh. in the morning by the time you got that we had already been declined like two weeks prior they, we just didn't have the feedback yet oh uh, well, i might not have known <laughs> i didn't know that thanks <laughs> uh so i looked and it was like just ripping us a new one on feedback and i was like i was like wow i was like well to be fair you know, there's there's two possible explanations. Either, well, there's maybe three. Either the idea sucks, or they didn't understand what we were talking about, or we did a really bad job at explaining what it was that we wanted to talk about. So it's definitely probably heavily three. That mean we didn't do a good job explaining what we wanted to talk. Or oh, they just don't like you. That's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Four. Four. I mean, Jared lives in Las Vegas, so they're like, we want nothing to do with. Yeah, you. it's my local con, man, and I can't <laughs> even get accepted to my local B sides. At least you got feedback, though. I know, like with Black Hat, I got nothing. I got. Uh, we we got nothing. We got. Um, yeah. We got something that said that we were highly competitive and uh, in the running until the last minute, but I don't think oh, really? it was like okay, it wasn't like. That. It wasn't like personalized. (laughs) I remember when I released PowerZure, I submitted a talk to and uh, to Black Hat and they they were actually really interested. We had a lot of emails going back and forth and ultimately ended with them sending a link to my blog post. And they're like, so is this what it's on? I'm like, yeah. They're like, no, you already did blog post. We don't want it. We kind of we kind of had that situation, too, to where um, that is. It's an interesting conundrum, right? Because uh, like I got asked about, I have that on detection blog series that, I, that I'm writing. And they're like, so like, what what's different from this and what yeah, you've already written yeah. about? Well, one of them is like the platform and being able to present it to people, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and, and demonstrate and things like that. But like the other thing is, is that, and these are different 
organizations, right? So I wrote this whole explanation of why it's different and all that kind of stuff. But um, Black Hat basically was like, well, if you've already written about it, we, we're not that interested in it. It's kind of the vibe I got. Um, but then with B-Sides LV, it was like completely missed the point. Of, like, could be our fault, could be their fault. I don't know. But I'm not trying to p- pass blame. But the idea was not properly communicated. Had they read, you know, the blog posts that we wrote about, like, I think it, they probably would have come to the conclusion, not that they should, but they would have come to the conclusion that maybe it's not as introductory as they thought. Um, yeah. However, there's there's this like weird thing of like, I can't ex- in a in the and maybe this is my problem, right? In the context of a abstract, which is relatively constrained, it's very difficult to explain the nuance of a novel idea. But you're simultaneously not allowed to have any prior information out there about the idea. And so it's yeah, like exactly. this weird conundrum to where. Yeah, it's a chicken and the egg almost. Yeah. Maybe I just suck at being succinct. I think that's almost certainly true. Well, the if problem anybody is, watches I, this podcast, they know that I'm not succinct. So I've I've uh, submitted many conferences with Jared and Jared like puts himself into an anxiety hole because he wants to over he'll write out the abstract and then he'll like rethink it rewrite it rethink it rewrite it and I hate, like i hate writing abstracts more than like i'm sitting here like dude you're putting yourself into a hospital bro almost <laughs> yeah, and it, and i get declined anyway so i might as well have just half-assed it and then <laughs> call, call it a day yeah. Oh. yeah fun times all right let's get back onto something more positive and happy yeah <laughs> the black the things. yeah um is there anything that so when it comes to like say people wanting to get into Azure research, do you have any feedback or anything that you want to tell people? Because like obviously when you get into like the Windows research, like I have and many others have, it's a huge problem. And there's so many different rabbit holes you can go into. Um, and you can kind of have a lot of niches. Um, obviously the same thing applies to cloud and Azure in general. Do you have a specific spot that you suggest people start with? Or um, do you have like just generalized comments on like suggestions of uh, that you think would be helpful for them when moving forward to that? Yeah, I think that one of the things that's off-putting about Azure is the cost, right? So people don't understand the pricing model and they think that, hey, I'm going to go create something in Azure. How much is it going to cost me? So I will say like starting out, you can create a tenant for free and that costs nothing. Meaning you can use Azure AD for free. You can experiment in that as much as you want. There are different licensing levels within Azure AD. You know, you have your P1, P2 licenses and stuff like that. Those costs, but you that that's stuff that you don't really have to worry about when you're first starting out. Um, when it comes to Azure resources, that's when the costs will start to add up if you're not careful. And I think when you're doing research, you don't, you don't need the biggest and baddest machine, right? Like, for every VM that I deploy for Azure and research, um, it's the cheapest one you can find and thing that costs like five cents an hour. Yeah. Um, and then with every resource as well, if it is able to be turned on and off, there's always a setting somewhere that allows you to like schedule when, if nobody touches this for XYZ time to turn it off. Right. So that's, that's getting the pricing out of the way for the actual like research side of things. Um, I still think it's not not as much as the Wild West as it used to be uh, a few years ago, but I still think there's plenty of research to be done. And I think the, the very interesting thing is in comparative to like Windows, right, where, you know, you'll get a new OS every three, four years 
And there's some, you know, minor changes, more visual changes than anything. With Azure, stuff gets updated all the time. And that mm -hmm. introduces new things all the time. Like when I published AZD Tech Suite, immediately I got called out on Twitter by some guy that said, hey, you're actually missing something because one command changed. You're actually, you know, the action that is required to run this is different for one way you run one command versus another way. I had no idea that even changed. And you look at the blog post that, or the MS docs of when that was published and it happened like two months ago. Yeah. So it's changes so much that just because somebody researched something doesn't mean that it's still hundred percent recent. Um, I, I know that when I first started like doing research and conference presentations and things like that in kind of more of a digital forensics, uh, like artifact parsing type, type subdomain, I guess, um, the, the way that you kind of would get yourself a little bit of notoriety is when like for me is windows eight, which like rip because that never really took off. But, um, what you would do is when the new operating system came out, you would, you would always be the first one to like, you go and look at all the pre-existing things. For me, it was like prefetch was the first thing that I ever looked into and did a conference presentation on. And like, I was the person who discovered that in windows seven prefetch only had one prior date of execution, but in windows eight, they added, they made eight prior dates of execution. And so it's like, just your ability to discover those new things and be on the, the forefront of something that conceptually we already know about, but we don't know how it's going to change from version to version or update to update. That was a way to kind of get yourself into the game and like potentially make some useful discoveries that people could then build on and like change their processes for. Cool. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds like to me, there's like, if you want to get started with Azure and correct me if I'm wrong here, you kind of want to get so like the thing with like Windows, you can kind of start some of VMs. You don't really, like, there's been some complaints from some people in the industry. It's like most people would benefit from like that IT admin thought in their head of knowing how things work. Doesn't necessarily have to be done, but it sounds like there's some administrative tasks to begin with when it comes to Azure that's like setting up, understanding what you're getting, what you're paying for, all those mm -hmm. different things and like those type of actions before jumping into the research. Yeah, 100%. Like I said, you know, out of the box, Azure's secure. There's nothing that you can really find. Um, but as you start deploying resources, you start adding users and you start assigning permissions, creating applications, stuff mm -hmm. like this, that's where the pitfalls come. And that's where, uh, similar to, you know, doing AD research, on-prem AD research, um, in the cloud, it's no different. Like role play as an administrator, like, you know, I'm creating this web application and I want these three users to be administrators of it. What else can they get to? Um, you know, that, that type of stuff, uh, different scenario questions. I think I would say probably, I'd probably say there's like 10 resources that are used more than 99% of the other ones in Azure. Um, and those are going to be used, you know, majority of enterprises with key vaults, storage accounts, VMs, those sort of things are going to be very common to see. So those are probably the ones that are probably have been researched more often than not. Uh, so you can get to some of these very niche resources that pe some people probably never looked into. Um, cool. So, yeah. Uh, is there, um, so you mentioned that Azure changes a lot all the time. So in Windows, you can, it's like a VM, you can get like uh, preview builds, essentially, to look at like new and upcoming things. It lets people play with it, provide feedback. Is there a similar thing with Azure or is it more like just what they throw out there? There's features in the portal and stuff that they'll add, and it'll tell you at the top, like, hey, this is in preview. Um, 
but you don't have an option of like opting out or anything like that unless it specifically gives you that option. Like there's no like beta switch in Azure that you can enable. So very cool. I want to um, um, I want to take a moment just to kind of like do a little bit of like compare and contrast because we we mentioned Burp Suite as uh, a way to kind of replace API monitor. So I want to kind of like go through sure. some of the terminology that we use on the Windows side and see if we can find yeah. the comparison. Absolutely. Right. So okay. So is that fine, Johnny, or is that throw off your line of questioning? No, that's perfect. That's actually I kind of wanted to go that way anyway. So okay. So. So uh, one of the things that we that we kind of instruct people to do is when you're trying to discover how it is that certain malware works or uh, application in general is uh, dynamic analysis. So you'll throw it into API monitor and just see like what APIs is this thing calling. And so Ryan, you already talked about how you would do the similar thing. So it's like I have Azure CLI or I have the portal and I'll uh, monitor that with either like the built-in Chrome kind of web developers yep. stuff or whatever. Or I'll use Burp Suite if it's something that's not like built into the into the web browser, as an example. So that kind of replaces API Monitor. We talk about uh, securable objects on Windows, on like, uh, and uh, I think to me a resource is equivalent to a securable object. Is what to a, to uh, a, a, re, a resource? So like on a okay. object yeah. is for yeah, those yeah, that, yeah. Are, that are listening. You have like files and name pipes and registry Absolutely. keys, and a resource. You have virtual machines yes. and Yes. All those other yeah, things. Absolutely. And you can even throw on like on the Azure AD side of things, like applications are a big one. Okay. Applications. Um, so yeah. Applications even more so to an extent because you can add secrets and stuff to them. Um, they also have like their own separate log providers and stuff. So yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. So, so you have, okay. So resources, resources are securable objects mm -hmm. and then you have actions actions that can be taken against those securable objects which turn into operations and i like one thing that i noticed is that in the logging for the what was it the azure what's the it's pretty specific to that right yeah it, well it's actually called like operation name or something isn't yeah, it yeah azure activity yeah yeah, yeah. Um, the, go ahead yeah yeah so um go ahead and finish what you're gonna say okay yeah so i was gonna say that the uh the equivalent of an operation which again is like an action being taken against the securable object so just for a windows reference we have like a registry key creation would be yeah. an operation. In this case, you would have like the uh, the like running <laughs> of the of the command. The run command would be an action that's being taken against a VM uh, secure uh, resource, and so that would be, the operation would be like a virtual machine run command or something like that. Yeah. So you know, taking a, a step back, um, even like with on-prem, you have groups, and those groups have permissions. Mm -hmm. So roles are kind of like the groups for Azure, okay right? okay so those roles have inherited or predefined actions that they're allowed to do um and then not to confuse things even more but there are also things called not actions which oh, good. explicitly deny um okay yeah so let's say you know you want to create a custom role that is allowing a user to reset the password of a vm but not allow them to execute run command on the vm you can do that with a not action okay oh interesting okay so it's like a deny ace or a um allow ace exactly. potentially okay not yep. actions gosh who came up with that the um <laughs> we allow you not to action on something <laughs> <laughs> you're just setting yourself up for double negative issues i feel oh, like oh yeah oh yeah um okay so so you have that and then like 
a technique a technique i think is a chain the way that we kind of describe it or a procedure you could say we i call it an operation chain just to get out of the debate of what is a procedure well before we go for uh, ryan are you familiar with kind of that terminology that jared's kind of talking because he's kind of recently been putting this information yeah. out so yeah. i don't know if we need to come I'll, okay. I'll explain it real quick just in case because <clears throat> there's people listening that might not know so okay so we defined, okay, so we have resources are securable objects. Again, securable objects on, in the Windows context are files and processes and threads. Objects and that you can put a security descriptor tokens. on. That's right. Yep. Anything that can have a security descriptor is a securable object. Yep. Um, and resources like virtual machines, for instance, uh, are going to be the equivalent to securable objects. Then you have actions that can be taken against those. So like with a file, you could write a file, you could read a file, you could execute a file, so on and so forth. Those are those are actions, but when you combine the two together, they create an operation. So file write is an operation, file read is an operation. And generally speaking, operations are ex like implemented via API functions. So you, there's like a um, process, actually file execution is interesting because file execution is actually process create, they're synonymous. So it's kind of a weird, that's a weird one. I, I hadn't thought about that before, but um, like a file read, so there's a, there's, Probably, I don't know this for sure, but there's a read file API function, right? But okay, so operations in the context of Azure would be you have a resource, you have some some action that can be taken against a resource that'd be an operation like run command on a VM. So virtual machine run command. And instead of API functions, you have REST API endpoints. Yes. Okay. Mm, yep, exactly. Okay, right. and so generally speaking, uh, at least on the Windows side, I don't know that this is like a always true, but generally speaking, like a an attacker action, like attackers don't just do one operation; they usually will chain operations together, and that's the oh, thing. Like, many. yeah, yeah. So it's like curb roasting. There's a number of steps you yeah. have to take, or whatever, or access token theft. It's like, okay, I opened a handle to a process, but that's that's just one component of an overall chain. And so yeah. I imagine that there's probably you would know you would know more, but there's there's going to be chains of operations that actually formulate sub techniques. I guess is the way that uh, it would fit. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it can be much more direct, right? I think sometimes for Azure, it's sometimes a means to an end. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, let's say you know they have they're using a hybrid approach and they have Azure AD deployed. And they have you know the authentication and stuff, and then they have a couple uh, VMs in Azure that are linked to on-premise. Well, the meets the end in this case is just going through Azure to get to on-premise. Mm. So they'll log into Portal, they'll deploy, let's say, a beacon via run command, and they'll get onto a box, and then that's it. They're done with Azure, right? So mm. from a logging perspective, the only things that they did is log in and execute a command on a VM. That's the only thing that's uh, okay. So that, that's a good point. So do people use, from what you've seen, do people use like Azure VMs as like an, a stopping point or more of like a hot box? Yeah, definitely more of a hot box. And okay. I think I think more so for a lot of like, not necessarily computational things, but more for storing data. So storage logs or storage uh, accounts, for example, are huge for storing mass amounts of storage in cloud, right? um key vaults are another good one so instead of keeping you know your keys to the kingdom on prem um you keep them in cloud mm. um yeah there's a there's a bunch of scenario questions like that but i i definitely don't 
it's rare to see just a company use only Azure and that's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could do it, but it's, hey, that's going to be very pricey. And two, um, I, I don't think I've ever seen that, to be honest. Mm. Interesting. I never yeah. thought of it as that way. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like, uh, I guess the like the super layman example of what people do with cloud is like run a Bitcoin miner type thing. Um, sure. <laughs> is, would you say that that's still like a common thing or is that it's not it's, really a thing very much? Point. I think you're more in the into like uh, too commoditized. Yeah. Um, what's a more common way of doing that? Um, crypto jacking. Okay. I yep. think that's probably going to be more common. I mean, Not you could definitely, I could definitely see, um, and, and this is definitely more of a question for Mystic. I think Roberto could probably speak to this better than I can, but yeah, getting into a company's environment, seeing they're using VMs or even if they're not using VMs, deploy your own uh, on their dollar and, you know, crypto amount as much as possible. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, that's, I, I've heard it less and less, but at the same time I could be wrong. So can we, can we talk about like a hypothetical scenario of what steps we would expect to see if somebody got initial access yeah. to an Azure VM, how they would then make the hop? to like deploy something into an on-prem system, like a beacon? Yeah, it's so- your red team ways. Yeah, so I think, not to go off on a tangent right away, but yeah. I think the hardest thing to detect in Azure is malicious like logins, like differentiating what a um, an actual user logging into their account is versus like someone that just got popped. Okay, that's so that that's actually yeah. a very interesting point because again, as a layman, when it comes to cloud stuff, that like the the authentication plane or login plane is like what almost everybody who talks about detection like at the layman level will it's say all that identity that, based yeah it's yeah. all identity yeah. not action yeah. based yeah um, the way i've gotten around this with clients is i actually do um behavioral uh, or baseline uh, behavior in in KQL and it's it's not fun and it's definitely cons resource consuming on my KQL onto things, but basically establishing a baseline of what their activity looks like mm -hmm. to a certain resource over forty eight hours and then comparing that to the res their activities over the past twenty four hours, and it's easier with things of like egress traffic like storage storage logs. Uh, you can pull those and see okay you know they're on average let's say they're pulling. 20 megs of data a day and all of a sudden that shoots up to two gigs that's when it alerts right so that's how i get around that problem but going back to the original question um maybe like how do like i think i know the answer to this but how like how how do so the first in, entry point is that i basically social engineer somebody into giving me their username and password for their azure portal and because or for their azure account and because Azure is in the cloud and accessible globally, basically. Now, once I have that those credentials, I could just log in. Yeah. Is that um, probably and, the most common way that people, like bad guys, quote unquote, would get access? Sure, there's that way. There's also other ways, right, with applications, because applications run as uh, service principles in Azure. Mm. So oh, as service principles. Is it the same as like Kerberos seen in SPN? There's not really there, there is there's Kerberos and Azure now, but it's not exactly the same. It's basically it's a, an account tied to an application, and there's also uh, accounts that can be tied directly to resources. They're called managed identities, and basically just service principles, right? 
So let's say you have a managed identity for a VM, or let's let's say a web application, right? And this web application, um, it gets compromised, and let's say you're able to now execute execute code on the web application. In and this is just like a traditional means of web web app compromise. <laughs> right. Okay. So um, let's say you're able to get to, you know, the actual code of the application within Azure mm -hmm. uh, somehow. And now all of a sudden you're able to forge a JSON web token for the managed identity that is running that application. Now I can run it, log into Azure as that application, which is going to have, um, owner or contributor very execution rights over that application right okay yep um and it's not uncommon to see you know managed identities used throughout different types of resources you're not supposed to but it's again very common to see um so yeah so that's definitely a theoretical way in as well so yeah but i, I would say still though that the most common way is some user gets popped um you know okay so so now i'm in azure and let's say that i have access to some account that has the run command yep um the run command permission or whatever um how, like and i'm trying to move i'm trying to deploy a beacon which i guess was the scenario that you you kind of mentioned yeah. tell me if i'm interpreting your scenario incorrectly yeah i mean nobody's gonna run just a raw beacon but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> something I mean? something like i'm trying to yeah. i'm trying to run Literally. i'm trying to get code execution on an yeah. on a system that's on-prem yep conceptually my my Azure credentials, like, so I'm on a VM in Azure, but now I want to get access to an on-prem system. Is it likely that like the credentials that I have access to on that Azure VM are going to be shared credentials on the on-prem computer? Um, or how do I reach back into on-prem from Azure? If I would say since they're using, they, since they have on-prem or they have a VM linked to on-prem, there's a very high chance that they're using a hybrid approach for Azure AD, mm. which means the credentials that you found that you're able to log into Azure AD as will probably work on-prem as well. Uh, okay, and then there's like there's a possibility that like you set up some, it's essentially a VPN, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a link between your on-prem environment and your Azure environment to where it's Basically, the same. Yeah. Yep. yeah, okay. Yep, and I think like there's certain steps of enumeration you would see before that, right? From a red team perspective, you can just, sure, you can go ahead and just deploy your agent onto the VM, get on the mm -hmm. VM and start doing recon that way. Uh, the other way to do it is to do recon just purely through one of the many ways of uh, running a script or command on a VM, right? Yeah. To make sure that it is domain joined, to make sure that you can even test that the credentials are valid, right? Um, you can you can do port scanning if you wanted to. I mean, you, you literally have a terminal into that VM, which gives you insight to the internal network if it's linked to it. So. So you have logging from an endpoint perspective. It sounds like a cloud perspective and then coming back down to another endpoint, yeah. correct? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Have you guys yeah. done much research? Cause like going from, let's say <clears throat> on-prem to cloud, I feel like there's been a decent amount there, but has there been much from cloud down back to on-prem? Mm, probably not. Uh, I would say the hybrid approach that we're talking about here isn't super common just because I think Azure is more utilized for its storage capabilities than it is. It's, Got it. You mentioned that earlier. Got it. Um, I'm not saying it's it's completely uncommon, but it's probably less common than, you know, again, for, for storing keys, store, storing logs, et cetera. Gotcha. Um, but I think, too, like, you know, we take the example of run command. 
Um, the advantage of that, right, is uh, since it is executing PowerShell, as we know, script block logging is not enabled by default in Windows, right? So you're yeah. not able to do all this recon um, unless they have some type of additional logging capabilities on premise. You're basically able to do that recon uh, scat free. Wow. Uh, so speaking of PowerShell, I saw recently. Um... This isn't PowerShell, but it's like made me still kind of think of this as um, someone mentioned WinRM within Azure now. Um, people have been using that from on-prem to go up to like an Azure VM, I think, and using WinRM, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't know if you looked into that. Because I know like obviously like what is it? The beacon or the 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 Cobalt strike is like WinRM jump or whatever. Using WinRM to jump to another box as long as people have the correct permissions i didn't know if that was becoming another way of lateral movement potentially that you've seen i honestly i, I don't know um <clears throat> yeah I, I don't know that's a great that's something i'll definitely look into though that's i'll give you i'll give you that blog when i find yeah, it please do. very interested yeah. you know who wrote it i can find the blog actually for you i think pretty quick um so kind of keep tabs one second yeah so there's a guy on twitter his name is uh, Jerion Ebus, so J-E-R-O-E-N Ebus. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, well, he said how to connect the Azure AD join devices through WinRM. But that made me think like, oh, if there's mm -hmm. WinRM capability, like, I'm wondering if there's anything that people this, can use. This may, I don't know how DSC works in, uh in Azure, but I know DSC on-prem used to work over WinRM, so I wonder if that might be it similar ish. Could. It could. I know the so I did find um, with DSC and execution. Um, with DSC, there's a there's a format that has to be followed, like a proper mm -hmm. almost template format. Yep. Um, you don't have to abide by that at all on Azure. You oh. can basically just forego that whole thing to just execute commands. <laughs> Fun time. Um, that's one of the few scenarios, if I remember right, where you do have to use the REST API to properly execute it okay. uh, instead of using the portal. Like if portal with the portal, it's going to prompt you for all these like mandatory fields to fill out the template. Yeah. Or the REST API, you're like, no, just do it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Got it. Fun times. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot there, I feel, that would be discovered. I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, any... I guess we're getting close to time. So I just want to make sure that we give you Ryan a chance to kind of follow up on anything. I'm going to go ahead and add the links again here. I'll, I'll do to your uh, ATRM just to, cause I think that kind of points back to everything else. So again, uh, everybody that's listening, check out HTTPS colon slash slash AKA.MS slash ATRM. If you want to check out the Azure threat research matrix, um, which seems pretty cool. I mean, it's something that I literally don't know anything about. So I, it's uh, just, I learned a lot today just talking about it. And um, it's fun to do those comparisons like we did to where oh, it's yeah. like, okay, I have 100%. this model in my mind about how I think about Windows and can we start to relate yeah. Azure to, to it? No, and coming from red teaming, like, uh, you know, when I was first put on a, an Azure assessment, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how it was architected. I didn't know what to look for or anything like that. So I think the best way for me coming, for, coming from our on-prem is to do those analogies to say, yeah. hey, look, this looks like this, this looks like this. And it just made it make more sense to me at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, no, that's the analogies are awesome. And yeah, I, I, again, I, I think with ATRM, I think the point of it, 
again, matrices are very easy to conceptualize data in a very compact uh, format. So I think if you're starting out and learning that, I think that's also a good resource to do to be like, hey, you know, what can you do to a VM in Azure and, you know, try those out. And as you start trying those out, you'll notice certain different caveats to each one. You'll start to recognize like there's a common theme of researching, which is almost sometimes just stems from just clicking around randomly in the portal on a resource to see what you can find. Yep. And then eventually you can step that up to saying, all right, now I'm going to look on the back end to see what it's doing. Oh, it's calling this endpoint. Why is it doing this? You know, that, those sorts of things. So. Yeah. What are the, what are the capabilities that are not facilitated through the portal that the, the <laughs> endpoint gives me? Because those are the ones that are going to, those, I feel like on the balance of probabilities, those are the ones that are going to be the most interesting. Yep. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but like reading the docs too, like you'll, especially the REST API docs, a lot of the times you'll just yeah. be reading through and you'll be like, that's a parameter. Holy crap. Why does that even exist? And that's when I actually, I actually right. find that like every good researcher is somebody who will spend a lot of time in the docs. And yeah. so it's oh, just, yeah. uh, I, it's boring. It that's what I was about to say is you sometimes have to dig, but like learning how to read Microsoft documentation is a skill if any researcher wants to get really far because there could be something two, three, four pages deep. And then you go ask a question to somebody like, oh yeah, it's in the docs, here it is. And it's like, might be in one of the technical documents that is like one of the technical specs. I mean, and it is like, I didn't even think to look here. So like, that's a big piece of research. And the last final plug I do want to say is if you do have questions or anything, um, I and a ton of other researchers that are well-known within the Azure research community are in the Bloodhound Slack. Mm -hmm. um, we're always we're on the Azure channel. Feel free to ask questions anytime. Okay, you can also reach me there. Um, I'm online pretty much all day long. Um, so. Perfect. And then on Twitter, his Twitter handle for those that are uh, looking to follow somebody on this topic, H A U S three C. So Housec with the three. With they the won't three. let me get the the OG H A U S E C, even though it's been suspended for three years. Dang. I don't know why. I don't know who. Yeah who they are and what they did to be suspended. Uh, <laughs> They're not giving that up. No. Cool. Well, cool. thanks again, awesome. Ryan. Uh, right. For those that are listening, if you made it this far, one of the things that Johnny and I have really uh, talked about is we want to get back a little bit more on this version of the podcast to doing interviews. So this was a really good opportunity for somebody, somebody who had just released something that was novel and interesting for us to be able to ask questions and kind of give them the microphone a little bit more and let them kind of, teach us and so that's kind of what we're we're going to trend towards that i don't know that it will always be that way because sometimes there's just not something for us to dig into that kind of fits within the context of what we're interested in on the podcast but uh that's the goal is to try to like have it be more of a interview style as opposed to just a chit chat so yeah uh, look forward to future podcasts on that johnny um, last words uh nothing i got nothing nothing all right well Sorry. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you again next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Detection Challenging Paradigms. If you want to keep up with us, you can do so on Twitter at DCP the Podcast or on our website, dcppodcast.com, where you'll find links to all previous episodes and their episode guides, as well as to our store, where 100% of our proceeds benefit charity. Uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.